to the show. Today we have a very special and amazing guest. We have Kevin Bannerman. Kevin is an independent studio producer and former studio executive for Disney Feature Animation and Fox Family Films. Kevin is known for developing supervised producer on Anastasia, Ice Age, and many others, including Ever After, A Cinderella Story. Let's welcome Kevin to the show. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Marilyn. Hi, it's so nice to be here. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, our audience is so excited um, to hear all about your wonderful producing and working at, you know, the amazing Disney and Fox family. So where are you recording live with us today? Uh, I am actually in the uh, beautiful area of Silver Lake in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, I love my neighborhood so much. It's, it's just spectacular. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, yeah. And it is a beautiful, well, cloudy day all day in L.A., but the sun is now poking out. And um, Kevin, I want to ask you, um, you work huh? in animation, but when you were a little kid, did you have a favorite film growing up that you just loved? So I had a bazillion favorite movies when I was a kid because my parents would throw the four boys into the back of the station wagon and go to the drive-in. So I grew up like going to the movies all the time. And I remember seeing like the Doris Day movies in the drive-in and uh, going to the movie matinees where they would raffle off prizes and things like that. So um, I would say as a kid, a movie that I discovered when I was maybe 11 years old that I became completely obsessed with was Damn Yankees oh. with Glenn Burton, Tab Hunter. Uh, and it used so in LA back in the day, they had what they called the million dollar movie. And they would run the same movie Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday nights, and then twice on Saturday and twice on Sunday. And that's where I saw the movie obsessed with it and I would if I couldn't get my brothers to watch it and they kind of liked it which was kind of odd because it was a musical but it was about baseball so they kind of went with it but if I couldn't get them to watch it as much as I wanted to I would go to my neighbors and talk my neighborhood friends into watching it so I could see it again um and by my last count I'd say I'd seen the movie 65 times I tried to count once so um I, I'd never get tired of it. And it became in a very, in, in a great way, like it became a formative movie for me and that um, I think it was like the first musical that I saw that I, I got obsessed with to the point that I started to understand how music worked with storytelling. And I really love that. And to this day, like one of the things I do as a volunteer is I sit on a, ASCAP musical theater panel and for these original musicals that are being written and we listen and review them and talk about them. And my fallback classic example of a great piece of story structure is actually Damn Yankees because as I grew up and I began to analyze stories and work on stories, I realized like Damn Yankees, which may not be the funniest or most original story, but it is a beautifully set up story it sets up its dilemma in the beginning it sets up a protagonist it gives you somebody to root for it throws obstacles in the way and then and it takes you to a, just a classic um end of second act dilemma where all is lost for the hero and then it resolves it all in the third act and it's just so beautifully laid out and so i literally will say in these 
panels like for me all roads lead to damn yankees and it's so <laughs> i love it and i have to ask you did you play baseball <laughs> um i my <laughs> i was not what you would i was definitely not what you would call an athletic kid and my my dad and my brother signed me up for little league one year and it, it was kind of a disaster so i, I don't really talk about that very much <laughs> but, but you love the characters uh, in there did you like the songs and the, or the dancing or like what like what appealed to you like i mean did you were you singing the songs that you went there that many times i mean that's just fascinating yeah i well first off uh there was this amazing creature named gwen verdon and gwen verdon for anyone who's never seen Gwen Verdon, you might have seen actually the series Fosse Verdon that was on Fox uh, last year or the year before, um, for which Michelle Williams did an absolutely brilliant uh, performance as Gwen Verdon. Um, they don't really touch on this movie very, just very, very little because it was the bulk of the story comes in their later years. But um, Bob Fosse choreographed uh, and uh, the movie and uh, and the stage show, and it's actually where he met Gwen Verdon. And Gwen was this just amazing performer. She was a great, great dancer. She had danced with Jack Cole, who was one of the premier choreographers of, of the screen, Hollywood in the 40s and 50s. And she met Bob Fosse, and she started dancing with Bob, and she was just a phenomenal, the classic, perfect Bob Fosse dancer. And um, he really, uh, helped to make her a star. Uh, they actually, sorry, they actually met on Pajama Game on Broadway. Um, and I was just, and it turns out, oddly enough, as I grew up and I met other guys who had, other gay guys who had grown up watching Damn Yankees, they were equally obsessed with Gwen Verdon. So there was this whole community of, of people who loved her. So that was part of it. And then I love the score. It's a great, great score by um, Jerry Adler and uh, Richard Ross, I think it is. Uh, and great songs songs that people know whatever lola wants um once a year day steam heat like they were they were great catchy melodies from a classic era of songwriting and i became obsessed that i had the soundtrack and i loved that soundtrack um even to the point that once i had a fight with my brother and i threw the record at him and oh, it chipped I, I got in some kind of fight with one of my brothers and i threw the album at him and the record chipped, and I still would listen to it and just skip over that much of the orchestra where of the overture where the record was chipped. Um, but I love it, and uh, and like I said, I, it was somehow became that touchstone for me. I knew musicals; we'd seen the Doris Day movies. I remember as a kid going to a double feature one day of um, Gypsy and The Music Man, and like that certainly had an impact on me so i've always loved musicals and then weirdly enough in a great like my love of musicals and of theater stuff paid off when i was hired at disney and their feature animation department because they wanted someone who knew musicals and um <laughs> i was able to match my love of storytelling with with my love of musicals yeah so, that's uh, I love Doris Day too. Oh my God. And Elvis, Elvis movies, like oh, <laughs> really fun time. And I love that you had drive-ins back then. And during COVID, I think they like kind of yeah. re um, made, made drive-ins popular again. Yeah. It, drive-ins are a lost art. It's a lost event. And I was so happy during COVID. And I actually went to a few um, uh, during COVID and it, it, 
it's for us, like I remember when I was a kid at drive-ins, they had swing sets and playgrounds right under, underneath the screen. So parents would pack their kids in. We, we would be in our pajamas mostly, run out, play on the swing sets, and until the movie started, we'd run and get in the car and watch the movie. And I remember, I have fuzzy memories of watching Pillow Talk with Doris Day, but I have very clear memories of watching Please Don't Eat the Daisies at the drive-in. <laughs> Uh, because that was a movie about a woman who was kind of glamorous, because Doris Day was kind of glamorous, who had four sons, and we had four boys in our family, and my mom was kind of glamorous. So that was a movie as a family. We really related to that movie. Um, um, what beautiful memories. This- Absolutely stunning memories. I, I can't believe there was a swing set. Like, I don't know which one you went to, but you went to some to a uh, driving theater that sounds super cool. And you even said they had raffles. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, well, the raffles were at the, like the matinee movies. Um, so I, this was in, I was, when, uh, I was a little kid. We lived in Salina, Kansas. And that's where we went to the drive-in and they had three theaters in the town and we would go to the movies and the matinees. And um, interestingly enough, when my mom, after my mom passed away, I went back to Salina because I wanted to, we had home movies of where we lived. So I actually found the house and where it was in proximity to the downtown area and the movie theaters and, one of the movie theaters was torn down. One has become an accountant's office, but they kept the marquee and the um, the big um, sign out in front saying it was the Vogue Theater, but they so they have an accountant's name on the marquee now. But the other theater, which was the Fox Theater, is now a landmark, and it's been a movie that a theater's been restored. They do live performances there, beautifully, beautifully restored, and, and it's great to see that. Oh, wow. What special memories. You found the house that you grew up in. And you and, yeah. the, and the theaters is one's an accountant and one's an actual theater. That's beautiful. I mean, what yeah. treasured memories as a kid growing up? Because movies have such an impact when you're a kid. Um, from, right. Yeah. It, yeah. And and it reminds you of growing up, and it does bring good memories of your mom, your dad, your brother and sisters. I, I, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but mostly I think the fun memories yeah. of going to the movie with with a parent or. Oh parent. my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember in one of those theaters, and I couldn't, we moved from there when I was seven, so I couldn't have been older than that. It's probably six. I remember going to one of those theaters and being in the lobby. Oh, it's funny how you remember the shit. I was was arguing with this little girl who I knew, to this day, I have no idea who it was. I remember us being in some kind of argument, and then the cartoon started, and all arguments were forgotten as we rushed down to the front and plopped in the front row and watched the cartoon. And like, those are the memories that I love about going to the movies. Uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, and, and you grew up in Kansas, right? So, wow. And you, and you went yeah. in, in the station wagon with uh, your, your three brothers. That must, what was your favorite spot at the movie theater? Were you the middle person or on the side or a very front row? I, I tended to go down I didn't like the front row because it was hard to get a little bit of a perspective, but I never understood people who sat in the back. It was just like, you're not in the movie if you're sitting in the back of the theater. <laughs> so I would go about maybe a third of the way from the screen, enough so that the screen felt like, it felt like I was immersed in the movie, but I could get the whole picture. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I always tried to like the side plan so no one would sit in front of me. You know that tall person that sits in front of me. <laughs> yeah, wow. See, I would look at people on the side and go, "You're not 
not really seeing the movie in the right perspective. Even as a little kid, I would like question people who sat on the side. Um, well, I guess I didn't like being like people. I would be claustrophobic, and, and that way I could like just run yeah. out if I needed to. <laughs> no, I get that, and I get wanting to be away from the main crowd where someone could sit in front of you and block the screen because that drives me crazy. That does drive me crazy, <laughs> and I have. Like I, I can pinpoint the exact favorite seat of mine in the Cinerama Dome, which I keep my fingers crossed will reopen. But I will tell you exactly where I buy my seat, which is two, three rows from the back, smack center. I think it's row double A, seat 23. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I know. And everyone's just so excited to get go back to the movie theaters. I'm going to ask you, yeah. um, was there like a favorite Criterion movie that you liked as well that perhaps maybe inspired you to go on your career path? So I, um, you know, I've looked through the Criterion list and it's an amazing amount of movies and there are directors there from Hitchcock to Sturgis to Ozu to Bunuel to Demi that I just worship and uh, that absolutely influenced me. But I, I will say there's two movies, one that absolutely influenced me and one that is emblematic of the movies I loved as a kid. So, um, and I know no one will mention this movie, so I happily mentioned Fiend Without a Face. <laughs> no one has seen without a face i don't even think i know what that one is which is gosh i'm so excited i'm gonna go watch it tonight then <laughs> <laughs> it is a very cheesy 1958 horror movie um and it's about some aliens with some atomic powers come and they suck the spine and the brain right out of you ah! uh, <laughs> and if they have enough power the spine and the brain actually take on a life of their own and they skill <laughs> I love this movie. So the spine, like it's like a brain and the spine and the spine is sort of their base and it scoots around and it will jump up and str strangle you with the spine. Oh my um, God. <laughs> and it has two little antennas on the brain and it's directed by a name, a guy named Arthur Crabtree who was a DP and then went on to direct a bunch of really cheesy horror movies. But as a kid, aside from the musicals, the movies I loved so much were the horror movies. And Being Without a Face was a movie that would come on TV, would come on chiller on Sunday afternoons, or would be on the middle of the night late, and we'd stay up and watch it. And it was, you know, a black and white kind of a cheesy movie. But movies like that, um, you know, which I, I was, it actually, I actually own the Criterion disc. That's how much I love this movie. Um, and the mm -hmm. cast is sort of nobodies, but again, very emblematic of the movies that we would watch on Sunday afternoons and love things that are so obscure now and so bad when I watch them. I remember a movie and I can't remember the name of it now, but it was about a tree in a voodoo a village and it had voodoo powers and it would pick up the beautiful women and throw it in quick, throw them in quicksand. Oh. And like, what the heck? But it was a movie that I loved as a kid. And, um, and, so those those were very, and then in that sort of universe, there was a movie called Them about giant ants that attack Los Angeles. And um, that was probably the high-end version of those movies. And um, it's actually quite good. I, it actually holds up well, I think. And my, it was a movie, one of two movies that my dad made us sit down and watch together as a family. And so I'm uh, particularly attached to that movie. But Fame Without a Face on the Criterion Collection is um, one of my favorites. And... I'm going to sneak a second title in, if I may, that did certainly influence me, and that was Truffaut's Day for Night. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Um, I saw that in Bali. 
Do you know that movie? Yes. Oh, yes. So, yeah, so great, so great. And I saw it in college, and I saw it with my friend Colleen, and my friend Colleen was one of the people I met in college who really was brilliant at breaking down and analyzing movies and telling me what they were about. A Day for Night was just a movie about the sheer love of movie making. And I watched that and I thought, oh my man, oh my gosh, I have to be in this, I have to be doing that with my life someday. And I wanted to act when I was a kid and that was totally um, not to be in a bus because I was kind of actually a crappy actor. But um, I was able to get in behind the scenes and, and find this whole other path. And so I actually have in my lifetime, you know, experienced what I saw on screen in Day for Night. And boy, was that a movie that had a huge influence and i can quote lines on it i just love it it's a great great movie that's francois Truffaut. yeah he's amazing too and isn't it kind of like a musical too or was that the other one um um it's not a musical uh jacques demi did the musicals like umbrellas of cherbourg which is exquisite and young uh les dames well damsel de rochefort the young girls of rochefort but Truffaut. It was just a movie about making a movie. It was Jacqueline Bissett, who was so beautiful, and um, Natalie Natalie Bay was in it, um, who went on to be do like a major major French actress. In fact, she's even in the French series Call My Agent on Netflix, which is great. Um, but it just, you know, I just looked at that. I want. I said, I want that. I want to be making movies. I want to see what that's like and be with that crew and be a part of that experience and. Um, and so, yeah, it had a very, very big influence on on setting a vision for what I wanted my life to be. So I'm going to ask you, so you're in Kansas, and then did, did you go to college? Like, how did you go from college, um, Kansas, to Los Angeles, and then start your career path? So actually, my dad was in the Air Force, so we lived in Kansas, and then from Kansas, we moved to Virginia. From Virginia, we lived out here in El Segundo, because he was at the El Segundo Air Force Base. And then from El Segundo, we moved to Ohio, where he was head of ROTC at a college there. So I actually went to just college in Ohio and then Indiana, Indiana University, when he went down there. Um, and then when I finished college, I came back to LA, which really was always considered my home base. I spent the wonder years out here, literally from when I was eight till I was 16, um, before we moved back to Ohio. So I just always wanted to come back to LA. I, like I said, I wanted to be an actor. I was obsessed with being a movie star, as so many people are. Um, and I came out here and I took acting lessons and I did theater and I just really was not a very good actor. Um, but until I figured that out at one point, um, I'd done shows with a really good friend of mine, Denise, and she had a brother who knew a woman named Carolyn and Carolyn worked at MGM as an assistant to Richard Benjamin. He was just in pre-production at the time on my favorite year. And I, you know, Carolyn was great and I, you know, she said, oh, you should come and work at MGM because they want to hire guys right now. So the way MGM worked at the time, this is 1980, oof, 1980. So they actually had a secretary pool and you had to short, do shorthand and typing and you would come in and you would go into this room and report to this guy named Frank, who was head of the secretary's pool, and he would assign you to offices where maybe there was someone out sick or someone on vacation. And you would go and sit in on that desk for a day or a week and then go back in the pool. And if there were no assignments, you would type scripts. Um, 
and then you could bid on jobs. So if let's say a producer came on the lot and they needed an assistant, they would post the job and you could bid on the job, you know, go in an interview. And that's kind of how the lot worked. So um, I didn't know shorthand at all. And Carolyn, bless her heart, uh, gave me a copy of the shorthand test of what would be dictated. Um, again, so it proves right now, like it's not always what you know, it's who you know. And Carolyn uh, arranged for me to go in and meet Frank. And I interviewed with Frank and had a great interview. And then he dictated a letter to me and it was exactly what Carolyn had given me. So then they put you in a separate room and you have to type up the letter. So I just went into this room and they closed the door and I took the letter out of my pocket that Carolyn had given me and I typed up that letter because <laughs> I could type. And I went back to Frank and he was very impressed with how good my shorthand was, I, how, how well I took dictation. <laughs> um, and he hired me and I was the second person in the, um, uh, at, in the history of MGM by one day, the second man to be hired as a secretary. Uh, and I worked for like a week or two, like filling in. And then they put me onto, um, the office for pennies from heaven, which was in pre-production. Wow. And, yeah. And it, that was supposed to be there for a week and I was typing up, oh boy, this was fun. Um, I had to type up Herbert Ross's the director's new phone directory and I had to call the homes of all these movie stars and confirm that their phone number and addresses were correct. And I was just terrified to do that. I would like, I remember calling Goldie Hawn's Malibu home thinking Goldie Hawn would answer the phone. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, you know, uh, I'm just calling to confirm this is the number and they would confirm it. And then I, you know, would type it up. And then at the end of the week, um, and I really liked like it was a cool vibe in the office. They were they hadn't got the green yet light on the movie yet, but they were starting to talk serious casting. Um, and I, I'd seen Herbert's movies and I knew them. And Herbert was was kind of a little bit aloof, but a nice, but treated me well. And the other people in the office were good. His wife Nora Kay was there. She never treated me very well. Um, but she, you know, she was a prima ballerina. And the other person in the office who was amazing was a woman. Um, what was her name? Shirley. Gosh, I just blanked on it. Um, yeah. Brown. And she was the inspiration for the Anne Bancroft character. No, the Shirley MacLaine character in Turning Point. She had been a ballerina with Nora Kay and uh, uh, had chosen being a parent and raising a family um, over a career as a prima ballerina. And Nora had gone on and done that. And their Turning Point was kind of their story. Um, and uh, she was great. And her son worked on the lot, Kevin Brown. I became good friends with him, too. Um, and so at the end of that first week, I remember I, I baked a cake, and I put little pennies on it, and I wrote in, you know, thank you for the week, pennies from Kevin. Oh, my and, gosh. That is so cute. 
Right. And they were so like, oh, googly googly over that, that they kept me on for another seven weeks. And that was really lovely. So that was my first real full time job uh, working in the business. Oh, my gosh. Like, what an extraordinary, like, a magical, like a pennies from heaven, like that would be forever treasured. Um, did did you get to see the set, the filming on the set and everything in there? Or how? What, yeah. So- yeah, sorry. So by the time they shot the movie, I was no longer um, working there. The actor strike of 1980 hit and I got laid off, but then they brought me back after the strike, but then put me on another assignment. Uh, but yes, I did get to go on to a couple of the sets. Um, the, the schoolroom set where they did the big tap numbers with the kids and then the beautiful, unbelievably gorgeous reproduction of the uh, number from swing time uh which they recreated just perfectly and that was bernadette and steve martin uh Burnett peters and steve martin performing and i got to watch that for a while and, and so and then and i have to say like forever after when i would run into herbert he would always say hello to me always very friendly uh nora never was <laughs> friendly to me at all but um Herbert was always nice. We'd, we'd love to hear, you know, we love to hear that because like, you know, I mean, the fans, if it wasn't for your fans, you know, the fans have to like what you do, but um, gosh. And like, there's so much work behind the scenes. Like, I think the um, people that work for the producers really do so much work. Like you said, the, the uh, typing, yes. the assistance, and like the whole team that it takes. There's so many people that it takes to make a movie, but it seems like whoever so true. It seems like whoever gets their face on camera gets like, you know, gets that red carpet love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's very true. You know, the assistants don't get a lot of love and they are really holding things together. Um a production team, a production office, just you know, they work from, you know, nine in the morning till seven or eight at night at least, and they're long days. And depending on who your boss is, they can be brutal days or they can be great days. And I was lucky enough at MGM to, to um, end up working for a vice president. So I spent like nine nine months maybe working for TV star Larry Wilcox, who was on Chips then. Um, I worked for him and he was really, really nice until one day he wasn't. And then um, I went to work for a <laughs> vice president. You're like, I gotta go. <laughs> Yeah, he, he had some issues. Uh, no. But, yeah, but up until then, he'd been great. He'd actually been a really super nice guy. Um, but then I started working for a vice president named Lynn Aris, and Lynn absolutely became my mentor. And I was her assistant for maybe two and a half years. And she worked under Freddie Fields, who was the head of the studio then. So when Freddie went into independent production, he made Lynn a VP in his company. And Lynn, like, just went to bat and fought for me and got me promoted from off the assistance desk into a creative executive position. And I would not have had my career at all if it had not been for Lynn. She absolutely was a great mentor and I learned a lot from her. And because I had studied acting, I knew how to read scripts. I knew how to look for good dialogue and knew how to look for authentic dialogue. Um, and uh so and she saw that and and you know i went the extra mile i read scripts i did coverage for her and um she got me promoted into my first exact position and and uh it was fantastic uh, well um 
Uh, Kevin, we're going to end part one here and I'm going to ask the audience, come back for part two because I want to um, take everyone from how uh, Kevin Brannon went from being a secretary, the, the second male secretary, right, at MGM? Yes. The yep. second male secretary to being a producer and how um, he, um, a female helped you get your first executive role. So let's do part two. So um, everyone coming back to part two, uh, thank you for joining us and please come back for part two with Kevin Bannerman. Bannerman, thank you. <laughs> come back, we'll be right back. <laughs>